0: All right, Callaway is seeding their ad read for this episode in exchange uh, for a question to you about their equipment. So we thank them for that. As everybody wins in this scenario, I think. You're probably better than me at explaining uh, how to get their stuff in the hole. So the golf ball and the golf ball evolution to me has been, I think, the most exciting. So what golf ball do you play, and why do you trust it on golf's biggest stage?
1: I play the the Chrome Soft X. Um, that's the one that I asked for, and that's the one I received, and that's the one I play. I've played... Probably six or seven different Calais golf balls since I've been with them, and and yeah, I'd, I'd agree with your statement. I mean, I think their golf ball evolution has been uh, something that should be talked about. It's something they've invested a lot of money in, and something they've kind of put their best foot forward with, and something they really wanted to change uh, what they're in, in their company. And I think they've done that uh, with this new golf ball. I mean, uh, it's I'm playing this golf ball now. Um, for an entire year and i'm going to play it this next year to me it's it's much more stable in the wind i mean i asked for a ball that doesn't get messed with the wind as much this ball sort of gives me best, the best of both worlds uh it gives me the spin around the greens and uh, when it gets pretty windy it's, it's a ball that stays much more stable uh, it doesn't really get messed around uh, they're explaining me in the past about sort of how their other golf balls had would go out with a lot of energy and kind of lose all its momentum or energy uh while it's traveling to its kind of apex and then it would kind of fall and this one sort of because they changed the dimple depth and the cover and uh, the core they're able to kind of manipulate those things to keep it conforming but also have it sort of maintain its spin and maintain its energy going out Um, so it never really kind of just fell out of the sky it kind of travels to its point um, the way you want it to I
0: would say you qualify as somebody to ask about that then because that blows my freaking mind. I feel like we could talk about that for either an hour or just like that. we have to separate that conversation out because I would love to hear how a golf ball does that. You may not be able to explain that to me, but all right. I'm going to give you a little timeline here. We were scheduled to do this podcast last week. It gets canceled uh, and we find out you're sick, which sounds like it was extremely legitimate. I'm not uh, calling any malfeasance (laughs) there, but this is the same time that some very not-so-good sources are just uh, running amok with the Xander and Cantlay-to-live rumors. And when you canceled for like half a second, I thought this may have legs. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to chat about you know decision-making and all that, but from from your perspective, what's it like? What's it like seeing your name in rumors that, to my knowledge, like don't have an ounce of truth to them, yet it does tend to spread? And you don't seem like the biggest social media guy, but I'm just wondering what that's been like from your perspective.
1: Yeah, I, I sort of... I found out in a, in a, in a funny way, I, I pretty much just received messages from my friends, you know, some of my friends sort of just believed that, uh, that I would tell them if I, if I were to leave the T J tour and, and my other friends kind of texted me disbelief, uh, thinking it was true. And so I was like, come on guys. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I was sick, you know, that is really funny <laughs> timing that um, you speak of it. I, I did drag my ass over to um to Arizona I felt like crap and I, I did one day with Callaway and I just they were really awesome I was supposed to do a day and a half with them and they let me kind of go that ha- that half day so I could go home and, and rest up which was much needed so feeling much better now and yes I had to weather that storm of all the social media news that I I don't really get on my phone because I don't look at it so I had to end up googling sort of what was going on and I saw that there's these articles basically saying that Pat and I are leaving so yeah, you know, I pretty much just told everyone um, what I'm gonna tell you. I, I just I haven't talked to anybody. You know, I was pretty much minding my own business in Vegas. and This whole thing blew up. So why it blew up or how it blew up, I honestly have no idea. But probably similar to the first time around, just sort of just r- random rumors that sort of I guess catch catch wind and it just blows up in your face. You know what I mean? <laughs>
0: Well, yeah, it's uh, like this is the part like I feel genuinely bad about like continuing to ask people that have addressed it repeatedly, and you shouldn't have to come out and say it, you know, every week. But I think it's just to this point, like it. We've seen some guys flip, we've seen some stuff change that kind of you know ruined uh, our trusted people in general. I think, and and right, so like right. un- unless a guy is like going to declare absolute loyalty to one side, like consistently, it's hard. It's that's what makes it really hard from where we're sitting. You know, there's so much flooding the zone with rumors. Yet when some of it pans out, it's like well. Well, dang, and the decision changes, I think, you know, if some big names go, the decision might change for you, right? It's not, if you were asked about it in August, your answer might have changed at least a little bit to this point. So uh, I all that to say, like, I don't think the questions are going to stop anytime soon.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the the rumor mill is definitely exciting. It's, it's fun. For, I mean, not for me, but it's fun for, you know, everyone else surrounding golf and you know, it brings attention and eyeballs to our, to our game, which I guess if I'm looking at this sort of half empty, half full, I guess that's a good thing. If I'm the, you know, the the punch at the bottom of it, it is what it is. But yeah, I I try really hard not to misspeak and um, especially when I'm talking to media or things like that. So, you know, for me to like declare sort of one thing outright, like you said, if everyone and their mother went to go over to play, not just, you know, this tour over here, but some different tour than, like you said, I I can't just say like oh I'm for sure staying on, on this. this. Obviously right now you know I'm, I'm signing up for tournaments next year, uh, on the PJ tour. Like I'm creating my full schedule, so it's like I know where I'm playing next year. Um and, and and probably I mean if I had to guess from years from now, where I'll be playing. But like you said, you know if someone started some mega tour and Tiger, JT, Jordan, Rory. Uh, you know, and, and everyone else decided to go play there. Like it'd be pretty hard to just sit sit here. You know what I mean?
0: Well, and that's kind of relates to one of my questions, which is I'm wondering if do you do you feel the weight of the golf world at all on any potential decisions you've either made at this point or future decisions? Because if I'm if I'm reading it between the answer you had there, if hey if the dominoes start to fall, I may make a move, which I I truly can't fault that position or are you are you stay in that or that decision but basically you're also saying you won't be one of the dominoes to fall to start this cascade effect right because that's that I think is is the question right somebody if there were to be a cascade falling somebody's got to make the first move i would say dj was probably one of the similar one of the ones that did that back in june and are you saying that you will not be one of those guys at least to this point
1: yeah no for sure I, i'm not going to be uh i will just basically take my talents to where all the talents will be playing, if that's a fair statement. I'm not really going to be – I don't even think that I I can be that person, to be honest. You know what I mean? I mean, it it takes sort of – there's only a couple I can think of that can really sort of be an individual to make the domino fall. I'd be – I wouldn't really – I don't think I'd be one of those people in the sport as of right now. That can change, obviously, with performance and majors and things like that. But there's only a couple guys in our game that can really sort of – if they say jump, everyone jumps, you know, that's sort of how it works. So, I mean, um, and, and, and for, and for that, I mean, me along with a lot of other guys on tour are working with them to, to make the tour better right now. So um, that's sort of what we've been up to. So it's pretty funny when, you know, I know what's going on on the inside, everyone else is, is screaming on the outside and, two worlds
0: collide It's pretty funny yeah it's oh god i don't i don't think i'm qualified to try to navigate all these waters but we're gonna we're gonna keep trying (laughs) it's it's super interesting man it's just like someone's uh, gotta do it (laughs) i know well yeah like i said it just i think the Kepka flip is what made everyone super like dude literally anyone could go now right because he said he wasn't gonna go and now he's going and it just it just you have to read between the lines on everything It's really difficult but What going back? So I want to go back into that room in August. You know, this was a very tumultuous time for the PGA tour. You guys all get in a room together, talk about a lot of things. You were a part of that meeting. What, how much talking did you do in that meeting?
1: Yeah, no, that was more of a presentation. Um, that wasn't really, uh, I, I really didn't talk a whole lot there. I mean, it was, it was a much bigger group. Um, so it was sort of information was provided. We all had to sort of sit there and think about it and, you know, there's some some small talk about it, but for the most part, now I mean the, the, the important people in that room sort of had the floor and uh, made their made their main points and, and gave everyone in there something to think about.
0: The verdict that came out of that, at least from a media perspective, was that everyone in that room, uh, everyone in that room, was unanimously in support of this plan and the future of the PGA Tour. Basically, of the idea that hey, we're going to get together and play together a lot more. What well, what was your you know actual reaction to that? In seeing this information, is it was it a light bulb going off moment? Were you did you leave enthused? Like what was what was your reaction to seeing everything that that played out?
1: My initial uh, feeling, I think everyone's was sort of there was this there's this excitement there's something new there's was, there's was an answer you know what I mean um, we're basically me being part of the pj tour as, as well as everyone in that room at that time we're getting just picked off <laughs> left and right and there was no answer there was no counter there was, there's was just nothing nothing really there I mean maybe there was something there I wasn't made aware of it and it wasn't moving fast enough so um, when you're just kind of seeing guys that guys that you uh, have played with and guys that you want to compete against kind of just leave uh, you know you understand why they're doing it you may not agree with why they're doing it but you understand why and it's their choice to make and you just have to try and sort of make what you have make your home better and uh, yeah my my instinct sort of initial feel there was 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 excitement and I think that was pretty much fair for everyone that was seeing what they saw on that screen for the first time or everyone that was for that first time in that room, I guess, you know, uh, discussing sort of what the plan for the future was.
0: What is it like now, you know, you being an independent contractor, you being able to make your own schedule, you know, all these years, what, what's it like kind of turning that over, at least in some capacity to say, Hey, you you need to be here for these blah, blah, blah events. What, what kind of effect does that have on you personally? I know it's affecting every guy a little bit differently and there's all sacrifices everyone's got to make, but what, uh, what's that transition like?
1: Yeah, I mean, if we're going to if we're going to go that, down that direction, we still just need to make sure the guideline in the past that we saw there in that room is 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 upheld, is is sort of true to what we saw, and not manipulated or, or maneuvered or or kind of restricted. Um, I have no I, I have no problem sort of uh, giving up you know some of my time or some of my freedoms, but it better be for a good reason, you know what I mean? It better be for the better end of the game. It better be because everyone else is doing the exact same thing. Um, no one really gets sort of an edge on anyone else because we're all agreeing to do this for, for, for a couple reasons, you know. And like you said, it affects everyone differently. But for the most part, you know, I just need to make sure that we don't really get screwed over because we do make ourselves vulnerable. We do take away sort of some of our strengths, but our individual strengths, like you said, because, you know, we are kind of passing up on some of our freedoms there, so... Just making sure that things are upheld. Um, you know, the tour is held. You know, accountable for moving forward to make sure that you know we don't get screwed over on on sort of in any way, shape, or form.
0: I think it. Yeah, I'm always. You know, I hear some reactions like, "Well, you know, the Dallas guy's got to play five events in a row and things like that." I'm always like, "Yeah, Dallas guy's also get to play for 20 million bucks a lot more often now." So it's kind of <laughs> like, like I get it. I do. It's just things had to change, right? In some way, they had to change, and um, I guess. Looking back at how this all unfolded, I am now, you know, from I get text messages from guys that are key decision makers in this, like asking me questions about what's going on, and that shocks me, <laughs> like that that amazes me. It I would say to this point, it is you guys not getting in a room together way more often has helped contribute to this this at, the current atmosphere and the current confusion and the current just overall lack of connectivity among the to, amongst the top players. Do you agree with that that kind of sentiment and do you see that changing going forward as a result of this meeting?
1: Yeah, I mean I, I think that can I understand where that where that's coming from. You know, the the man, it it is hard. It's like hurting it's like uh, hurting cats, getting the top players together. I mean, we we compete against each other, we typically don't really like each other. I mean, we all get along, obviously, but it's not like super happy when someone beats you every week and that happens every week. So imagining all of us agreeing to sort of sit down get together spend you know spend time together spend extra time together do phone calls and texts because you know it's not just you, do, you don't just like show up in one room you have to like communicate along the way to get into that room and to make the right time to make it work for everyone and everyone's been everyone you know I, say everyone in in this sort of uh, uh, in that room everyone got along everyone gets along there's no sort of weird feelings but I just know like part of the reason it's hard is because everyone you know everyone's their own individual everyone's got you know up to a certain point a family and everyone's doing their own thing and yes you know in order for us to meet we do have to sort of you know make time for this and it is very important and um you know I'm 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 guilty I missed one of the one of the calls here because I was uh, on vacation and you know no one gave me crap for it but It was, it was sort of, you know, something I, I, I probably could have, you know, canceled something during my vacation to get on that call. It probably would have made my wife very unhappy, but, um, you know, there's some small things along the way, but yes, I do agree. We do need to sort of communicate more often, Um, when we do have her, you know, sit down and talk and and communicate, it is, it is good. The hard part is getting, you know, 20, 25 guys on the zoom, you know, it's kind of a weird situation when, you know, one guy talks, the screen moves and then. Everyone's trying, you know. If everyone starts to talk, if they're passionate about something, then it's, it's pretty hard—a uh, pretty hard deal. I'm sure anyone who's been on Zoom with more than ten people can understand, especially when no one's muted. Um, but <laughs> who's
0: the worst at that? Who doesn't mute the Zoom?
1: Oh, uh, I mean, I don't—I don't know. It's—it's it, just like uh, it, it just ever—it just happens. You know what I mean? Yeah. Usually, when any one of us gets on Zoom, we're the ones that are supposed to be talking. So, uh, with a sponsor or, or whatnot, but yeah, I'd say moving forward, it, it is an easy fix. You know, just. Everyone needs to get together and talk more often. Um, Information needs to be relayed more often. We just need to be in the know more often um, about sort of what's happening, what's the plan of action, you know, what what the deadlines are, things like that. And it kind of goes in and out, to be honest, sort of like sometimes it's, you know, we have a meeting and things are really good. And then it kind of just goes quiet because this is our off season right now. Everyone's supposed to be Thanksgiving. It's with their families and then people are leaving the country and uh, et cetera. So it's a work in progress,
0: you know getting you know the top players to communicate better um, I you know I'm guilty of it I'm so glad that you missing that Zoom call was not part of these live rumors at all. That would just added the, a whole other layer to the. Uh, well, Xander, skipped the Zoom call. Like he's definitely leaving then for live. I think we can all agree. No, oh, no, no. Everyone
1: knew. I was I was drinking in Napa. Everyone knows. <laughs> everyone in that call on that call believe.
0: A quick break here to check in with our friends at Precision Pro Golf, a proud partner of No Laying Up. Listen, we've all stood over the ball. We've hit the shot we wanted. Instead of finding the green, the ball, you know, falls five yards short, sails ten yards too long. If you're guessing your yardage and if you're guessing that it's not necessary to actually get an accurate yardage, you are hurting your golf game every single time you hit a golf shot. At PrecisionProGolf.com, you can get reliable range finders or GPS speakers at affordable prices. their award winning NX10 slope rangefinder is the best rangefinder I've ever used. We all have the NX10 on our bags. It's been a game changer. It locks onto your target quickly. It attaches beautifully to your cart. It gets slope-adjusted distance. It's all super easy. And what stands out is the customization. At PrecisionProGolf.com, you can select from an ever-growing selection of interchangeable designs to attach to your rangefinder. They have the city and state series, or you can use a no-laying-up skin as well. The first, I don't know if there's any other customizable rangefinders out there. They've kind of cornered the market on this one. Them. they are also proud to offer a youth on course design as well youth on course breaks down barriers for kids by providing rounds of golf for as little as five dollars and you can support that mission by adding the youth on course skin to your cart when purchasing a nx10 range finder they will donate ten dollars to provide kids an opportunity to learn lessons that can be taught only on a golf course a rangefinder is a great thing to ask for as a stocking stuffer. If you want to just send this ad read exactly to a spouse or a loved one in your life that is looking for a, a gift idea for you for Christmas, get a rangefinder. do it. You need one in your bag. Precisionprogolf.com has the right products for you. Swing with confidence, hit more greens with Precision Pro Golf. Let's get back to Xander. Kind of tying that back in it, it looking at how much things have changed right and this is where I'm trying to get to the bottom of understanding you know can we place blame at the feet of the you know the executive layer of the PGA Tour for not putting these changes in place at all before Liv you know kind of forced these changes or is it possible is it fair to say also like it's really tough to ask the decision makers to make decisions while they're getting different lines of communication from a ton of different players. Phil might be saying this. You might be saying this. Peter Malnati might be saying this. James Hahn might be saying this. There was not a cohesive message that was delivered to them to say, hey, do this, which made their job pretty challenging, I would think, from now. And it seems like that is something that you guys have taken on to change, to say we're all going to get together now and then come to you to say do this. And if you don't do it, that's a big, big problem. But for the first time really ever, we're arming you with a specific blueprint for how to – how to make this happen. Is that a fair summary of kind of the last couple years? Yeah.
1: I mean, I, I, I'd say so. I, you know, whether the tour was, like you said, I mean, so many people want so many different things and, you know, the tour had all the top, all the top studs, you know what I mean? And when five of them want different things, uh, that's pretty tricky on, on sort of how they're supposed to approach it, how they're supposed to attack it. And yes, it did take, you know, an outside, uh, tour to, to really stir the pot and really accelerate sort of what certain people have wanted. I mean, even, I'd say, even some of the people that have left sort of what they have wanted, you know, in terms of having a better product, it's sort of sad to me from that standpoint, but to be completely fair as well to the tour, I mean, you, you just don't really know until you know, I guess, if, if I can apply that to the situation, because everything was from the outside and sort of from my perspective, sort of not being on the inside, like everything was sort of fine. You know what I mean? I mean, from what we saw, the sponsors were happy. The tour was happy, but you know, certain increases here and there, uh, each year there's a forecast uh, for, I mean, there's supposed to be, I sat down in a meeting and, I can't remember what room, but Florida, maybe or one of these tournaments, there's a meeting uh, about our forecast, you know, before this whole Saudi thing really rolled out about, you know, sort of where our purses are going in, in 2025. And, you know, that was already in place. You know what I mean? There's there's media contracts that are coming through and, and you know, Jay's, Jay's been trying to peddle that and promising us for bigger purses, obviously with this outside influence that has expedited and, largely increase those purses as well to sort of just make sure that you know we are still playing on the best tour and providing sort of the you know i wouldn't say the biggest purses but you know comparable purses and what we will have are sort of 12 i guess yeah next year 12 events where you know the top players in the world will show up you know i mean i think that's something that's never happened before so the product has gotten better and yes it's been reactive but like you said it probably wouldn't have I think it was, they definitely struggled to be proactive because they just didn't really know which direction to run in.
0: Yeah. And that's where I, I guess my sympathy for the decision makers there, when you're dealing with a totally irrational actor on the other side that doesn't really, isn't really playing by a business model, it is just really tough to compete with. And if you, if you get into an arms race with them, that's, you know, a recipe recipe for disaster. And. Well, and that's where, you know, what you touched on there was like things seemed fine from the player's perspective. That's kind of where I think a lot of my frustration has come with this is uh, it's like things are as good as they've probably ever been, you know, financially and setup wise for a lot of guys on the tour and leaving that, uh, you know, for for more money just reeks of greed to me. Whereas like, dude, I like rooting for competitive golf. Like that's where it is. And I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not speaking for all golf fans here. There are a lot of fans out there that, uh, seem to be a fan of the of what's going on here, but I like competitive golf and uh, watching that get disrupted. It, you know, was kind of a it was a very weird year. And I, I'm curious, like, if, if either a result of this meeting or going forward, what what do you see changing from an entertainment aspect in golf? We've long, you know, asked for like, hey, we need like players microphoned up. I think there's maybe too many commercials in golf, like that. The the, the entertainment aspect, I believe, if I understand right, was at least discussed in that meeting to say. You know, when we all get together, TV ratings are better, and blah blah blah. And how do we focus on entertaining people as well going forward? Do you see any of that changing, either in the near term or in the long term?
1: Yeah, like you said, I mean, I am also a fan of 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 competition. You know, whether it's in golf or any sport, or you and I trying to throw a piece of paper into a trash can. Like, I just competing is something that I enjoy doing, and it's what everyone enjoys doing. Obviously, disruption is, is necessary at times, and other people are bigger fans of it than you know traditionalists, but. It, the media – the product of, of, I guess, TV and in media that's displayed is definitely something that was discussed, not really to – it was something that was touched upon. Um, I think it's definitely something that needs to be reviewed. i say sort of how golf is uh, delivered to the audience. I mean, this is really – I am just – I am so subject. I, I, I'm the one who's playing, so I don't really know how to make it better for someone on the outside. You know, I, I'd really – maybe doing a survey for a bunch of people or hiring a different company to do something <laughs> to really sort of change the traditional mold. I mean, we have a, a we have a, an audience, um, a captive audience of, 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 several people, but also a certain age group, um, a very dominant age group. And, and that mold, like you said, of, of how golf is viewed or just or delivered is hasn't really changed. And I think that's definitely something where we can, change it and sort of maybe change the the the, the age of our, our our mean our mean average here of, of our of our audience here, you know, make it a little bit younger, try and get some kids involved. I mean, I don't blame, you know, kids for watching other sports. I mean, I I'm not the biggest fan of watching golf myself. It used to be a way for me to fall asleep on the T V with my dad on Sunday after you know, right after sort of the Chargers game started at one oh five on C B S. That was sort of my way to fall asleep is, you know, Watching the back nine of, of a PJ Tour event, whether it was really exciting or not, you know, I, I kind of doze off. But obviously, now I'm a much bigger fan of golf than I was as a child, and I look at things differently. But I think you're right. There is definitely a way to sort of attack this and make it more exciting and, and give it a, a more personal look at sort of what's going on out there.
0: Amen. Well, I appreciate you humoring all of uh, all the questions I have along that front. I know uh, I, I want to dive in a little bit. This is the first time you've been on our podcast, and uh, I listened to your episode that you did on the Altus Podcast a few years ago with uh, with Cameron and uh, and Corey. And I'm fascinated by, and I think you know maybe the audience doesn't have a full appreciation or understanding for your relationship with your dad as it relates to your career. I want you to tell us about that. And assume the listener knows absolutely nothing. Assume the listener doesn't know that he's your coach. Going back to the very beginning and how it has related to your golf career, where, where does that story start for you? Oh, man, what a, what a thing to unpack. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to transition morning. into that. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah he's, he is, you know, my dad. He's nicknamed Ogre. Um, that came years later, but uh, everyone really calls him that on the driving range. He brought me out to the golf course at a young age. Didn't let me come out until I could carry my own bag carry the weight of my own bag I wouldn't be a burden to him and his friends golfing on the weekends. yeah I mean I started from the 100 yard marker 150 yard marker just like every other kid. And then I'd say, you know, golf was really fun. I played soccer as well growing up. My dad's half French, half German, really international. Played, I love soccer. You know, I, I, I still enjoy watching soccer. We'll definitely tune into the World Cup here. Probably not as much as other sports, but I do really like watching it. Um, still love playing it. And then uh, it was a team game. I uh, really didn't like losing on a team. So my dad said, and you know, golf is an individual sport. It'll, you know, beat the crap out of you and, and drive you nuts. But you know if you suck you suck yourself and if you do well you know you get to do well on your own as well so I decided I wanted to play golf Uh, I was about 13 my dad told me that um you know I was kind of doing some stupid things in school normal teenager my dad let me kind of run free uh, for the most part uh and then he kind of said if I wanted to be really dedicated and committed to something he needs you know my verbal commitment and for me to show that I am committed to this one thing and uh, if, if you know if I want to get on the PGA tour, like he's going to do his best to help me, but you know, I need to show some commitment. So pretty much from 13 years old on, I, I made a pretty hard commitment to him and myself that this is what I want to do. I threw all my eggs in one basket and yeah, I guess that word sacrifice kind of kicked in early and then uh, pretty much chased. Uh, my dad's been my only swing coach um, that I've ever had in my entire life. You know, I've seeked advice one other time and but my dad's been there the whole way. I have a putting coach with me. Um, you know, my dad was every coach. He was my caddy. He was my coach. He was my mental coach. My dad wore pretty much every hat. He still wears, you know, a few hats uh, in, in, in what I do now um, for managing and, and sort of being my eye on my swing now still and some small things, you know, whether it's a little concierge kick here and there or just being a friend. Um, but, yeah, he's uh, pretty much a staple, I'd say, in my life uh, still now, and I would not be here without him.
0: I find that fascinating in terms of being, you know, helping. I just think there's such a vast, vast difference between helping your son develop a golf swing in his in his teenage years and helping your son potentially be the best player in the world. Like the, the level of detail is so different. And to, to watch that success unfold just fascinates me. Right. I mean, there's a reason why a lot of a lot of pros switch to, you know, touring pro coaches when they get to the highest level, I would think. Right. But you guys have, have yeah. managed to make this work.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, um, <laughs> he, I mean, he still says it now, you know, I mean, we, we talk a lot. It definitely has slowed down sort of his involvement. Um, I brainstorm, I, I rabbit hole a lot of my own, you know, for the longest time moving up, you know, even through Cornfair or even before that through college, he's like, I don't know if I can take you the distance. You know, I don't know if what I have is good enough. Um, you know, if it's not good enough, we'll find someone else. Uh, that was what, you know, with putting, he was trying to help me and I was losing my mind. I just felt like I wasn't getting better and so I found my putting coach and then you know he gave up that hat and so he's still now you know is, is in the boat of you know if I can't help you if I'm no longer of need in this space then I will step out and someone else has to step in or no one has to step in um you know because I've it's just kind of been me and him for such a long time I'm kind of used to that sort of feeling and mold uh of trying to sort of scramble and get it done on our own
0: well I've heard you describe yourself as a teenager, or as a kid, as being a bit of a punk. Or you mentioned it there. You were you were you, what what were you up to as a teenager? That was uh, that you would make yourself describe yourself as a punk.
1: I mean, just if I saw a kid just doing what a, what a normal curious kid would do, you know what I mean? Dabbling into trying to get into uh, older kids' parties or you know, look trying to, you know, dabble into alcohol or trying to figure out what marijuana is or things like that.
0: Uh, I'm not saying that I did those things. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> Statue of limitations is up. Yeah. I think you're good.
1: My dad knows everything and he was kind of made me laid out on the table for him. And it, not, yeah, when I say punk, that's kind of how I just got I don't, I wasn't a a, a bad kid by no means i just you weren't a gay leader a curious, uh, <laughs> no i was just a curious i was a normal curious kid you know if i saw a 13 or 14 year old doing it now i'd probably start laughing you know while their parents were panicking right i don't know if i'll panic as a parent at some stage but i know my wife would probably panic if she saw her you know 14 13 year old 14 year old trying to do those things but i don't know what i would do there'll be a, a, a bridge i can cross at some a future time here but yeah, I'd say it's pretty normal. You know, every kid was curious at some point, and you either dabbled do it when you're 13 or when you're 17, when you're out of your parents' rank. My parents were pretty – they worked a lot early on, so I had a lot of freedoms. Um, they weren't really strict about curfew or anything like that. So um, I kind of, you know, explored a little bit and, you know, never did anything that was going to cause brain damage. So I'm, I'm here now.
0: You were kind of rising. You were a rookie, I guess, when I kind of started doing this job full-time. And uh, I I guess I was kind of curious or didn't really understand your path to professional golf in terms of not a ton of people, if I didn't understand this right, come out of San Diego State and uh, win Rookie of the Year on the PGA Tour, right? And listen to that Altus pod. It, It seems to tie back to either a late kind of um, I'm wondering what the college like process was like for you. And is it really go back as much as you kind of not being on early radars and doing AJGA didn't get you in a college recruiting cycle that uh, kind of seems to to run college golf, if you will. And you kind of took a, not a back road to it, but you you always were this talent, but you just didn't have the stage to display it as much uh, at an amateur level. I'm just help explain kind of your rise to the PGA tour. Yeah, I
1: think there's a little bit of that, but just,
0: late bloomer you know yeah. I just
1: don't think I was I was as good um, as these other kids you know I mean I think even when I look at it now I mean I'm, I mean I remember asking certain kids in like junior golf I'd walk up to I was never never shy to ask for help uh like when it comes to golf or just uh you know someone that was better than me even now you know if I see you know JT Jordan you know I'll walk up to him and ask him and you know it's up to them to tell me or not you know I've been told no before and I'll just keep asking for help but yeah, I mean, I took sort of this back road. AJJs are, I mean, I'm assuming they're still outrageously expensive to do. I mean, an awesome circuit if you can afford to do it in a really good place to nurture a golfer, but just really expensive. So I just did the SCPGA route, uh, playing Toyota Tour Cups, uh, you know, along, along my coast in California. You could drive to pretty much every site, you know, uh, two, two rounds only sort of. Uh, one hotel day needed or one night of hotel needed so it was much more affordable and the traction from it for like college recruiting wise was pretty decent so I just played I think I had like six second place finishes uh in these Toyota Tour Cup events which got me you know on the board here and then I went to Long Beach State my my rookie year decided to go to a smaller golf school you know I I had an option to go to bigger golf schools but my dad and I sort of sat down uh, talked to a lot of coaches and assistant coaches and looked at facilities and we just figured that you know my dad was really aware that I was a little bit behind in terms of uh, how good I was at a certain age uh, compar- comparatively to other kids and me competing and playing every single college tournament is going to be more important than me being on a really good college team so I went to Long Beach State and then you know our coach left uh, after three months there, so I was kind of on my own there, which was I guess turned out to be a good thing. About know, now that I look at it in terms of me becoming friends with a lot of teammates there and developing sort of our own practice routine and things like that. At, you know, 17 or 18 years old. Then I transferred to San Diego State after three years, and then yeah, same thing. You know, I, I only won uh, won one tournament in Long Beach and maybe two two tournaments uh two both our home events at uh, at San Diego State. So, you know, if you look at my college career, I won three times in four years, and um, not stellar, right? I mean, I was ranked, I think the highest ranking I got in the amateur world ranking was probably, like, I don't know, in the teens, like mid-teens-ish, probably. So I never really sort of got on the other side of, like, you know, getting the – and if you look at my class of 2011, I mean, damn – yeah. how hard was it to get tour starts, you know, to be one of those kids to get sort of those seven tour starts as an amateur coming out of college. I just, you know, so maybe if I was in a different class, not to bag on any other class, I would have maybe been a little bit higher up just because my class, if you just, you know, I don't think anyone would take offense. If you just run down the names of 2011, the class of 2011 and, and sort of what I was up against there, but it definitely made me better. And it definitely sort of, you know, made my uh, path just, slower because that's just who I was. You know, I just wasn't shooting 63 uh, on any given day like I can now. So I just wasn't as good.
0: Well, I think there's something too. I guess that's kind of also what I'm trying to unpack is like having a game that profiles really well for the top level of pro golf doesn't necessarily uh, display itself at the lower levels, right? If you can drive it, yeah. if you drive it like you do that, that, that has a bigger effect at on the golf courses you guys play than it does where you're playing like a lot of college tournaments. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. I'd say it's a really fair statement. I mean, I, I was definitely like, um, I would never shoot really low. I wouldn't shoot outrageously. You know, if I was going to shoot something high, it'd be like 75 or 76 or 74 or something like that. I wouldn't shoot like eight to blow it out of the water. Of course I did. But when I was kind of competing and then I'd shoot a lot of like, you know, seventies. So when I got on the harder course, Or when the wind was blowing and it was difficult, and I shot even par. Like you know, I realized I could lap the field, and so sort of difficult golf is where I thrived. And I just took it took a while to learn how to score and shoot the you know 62 when there's no wind and when everyone's firing at pins and when the average score of the day is like 67. So it was just something I just a skill I had to develop. You know, I didn't have the tools to shoot 62. You know, it's still a hard thing to do, but Uh, just sort of you know picking up random birdies where you can is is something it was a sort of a skill i had to develop because it was sort of like i made a lot of easy pars and then had to learn how to make more birdies uh, as i got as i developed on on tour so it was really good game plan that i had for q school you know what i mean with sort of it being three months apart your game needing longevity um you know having to play on different grasses having to play on different courses uh that i think my game was more built for q school and i was able to get through
0: six top 5s in majors zero major wins what what has to change to get that that coveted major win and in the same vein how do you what do you feel like walking off a golf course after finishing top 5 in a major like golf fans tend to kind of lament the close call and just say hey when's he going to get it done and likely don't appreciate the accomplishment that is you know finishing that high in an event that everyone is trying to peak for so what what has that journey been like for you uh, pursuing a major championship win
1: yeah, awesome. Been really fun. You know, pretty much exactly what I envisioned as a kid. Uh, being in the hunt at a major is, is pretty hard to describe. Um, and yeah, so, uh, some of those top fives are probably, you know, a Sunday, a lower score on Sunday, and I was in twelfth, and then I shot up into the top five. So that is a rewarding Sunday and a rewarding golf tournament. Like, hey, you know, we we did you know a good week. Some of those are, you know, was in the lead or close to the lead and, you know, had a meltdown along the way or had some big score come in. Those hurt more, obviously, than the others. Um, But, you know, it's, it is so fickle uh, in my mind uh, in the, in the high ranks of golf, just even in the top, I'd say 50 on a PGA Tour. It's really fickle. You know, it's such a, such a, tight line you you know you try and walk and I have to just remind myself of that every day that man in the chase to become better you can probably get way worse pretty easily so I need to be pretty patient in my process of what I need to make better to give myself a real opportunity and so in order for me to win a major I haven't done it you know and I have ideas of what I need to do to do it but you know I'd say I've had plenty of game to get it done um, just now Uh, and I just either need to be in the correct wave, uh, get off, you know, get off to a better start, uh, have the right sort of mindset throughout the week. There's so many little things that come into play that can affect sort of uh, my ability or what's going to, you know, push me over the edge. And so my whole plan is to just try and make myself so much better um, at certain things that even if I'm not firing, you know, all on all cylinders, I still will have a chance. You know, I, I think right now in our sport, there's just, A couple guys that really, you know, off the top of my head, obviously our current number one in the world, you know, Scotty played unbelievable. Uh, He had a a nice run there as number one, and uh, I'm sure he'll get back there at some point. But Rory's played just – he kind of like, you know, he hits it so far that he pretty much will always be in, 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 like, in every hole, and he will always have an opportunity to score and, and, and get a score because he'll take advantage of par fives and certain things, such a comfortable place that, yeah, he is he is a true number one right now, and he does play like a week in week out. And you know he play he's played an unbelievable stretch of golf. And you imagine throughout, you know, no, no one can play perfect golf for eight months. You know they're going to play some crappy golf in between, and that hasn't really showed on his card, which means that his crappy golf is pretty damn good. And I, you know I want to get to that point where whether it's firepower that I need to increase, whether it's my iron play, you know, I I pick it apart with my team every year. That's what we all do. Do you know what I mean? And it is a tough journey because if you are really good at something and you need to try and get better at something else, you kind of go where the fire is burning. And all of a sudden you leave kind of your, the rest of your game aside to try and get better at one thing. And then now you're playing this teeter totter, you know, with your entire game and your golf swing. And it just, instead of just trying to maintain what you have and, and being okay with what you have. So I'm on this sort of slow, patient grind of trying to get like incrementally better uh, in certain areas without losing certain parts of my game.
0: Well, I, I wonder if you could help me with this too, because it—I I don't know how to describe this as much, but it seems like at the highest level, it is not necessarily a—you know—you give yourself a lot of chances to win majors. Whatever has happened to this point is pretty much just like how the how things have fallen, right? If you, It doesn't mean you have choked. It doesn't mean you can't get it done. It's just like, hey, that's just how it fell on the back nine of, of this go-around, right? And if you look back at a lot of people's careers, like a lot of the top winning major champions of all time have all had really close calls. And something changes, something goes their way. It's not even necessarily, it's not always all a reflection of what your capability is and what your ability is, as much as it is like, yeah, that just that's what happened today on this on this final five whole stretch. And I'm wondering, just like how you kind of cope with that, or is that a a a, a way of kind of describing what has happened? This is what happened, but that doesn't mean it defines me.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I, I, pretty, I wear it pretty hard. I'd say when things do happen, you know, I'm pretty disappointed, upset. Go to the drawing board pretty quickly, or, or I mean, I'm, I wait a couple of days, but I'll go to the drawing board to try and see if I can reassess. I mean, you, you know, I, I'd say. To this point, I, I really, if I do try and do anything and all you can do is really give yourself a chance coming down the stretch, you know, like you said, and, you know, we all hope, we all hope to be that sort of mental monster coming down the stretch where we will pull off the shot or we will make the putt or, um, you know, be that guy, I guess. And, you know, sometimes it's just not as fancy as that. You kind of just be really boring and, yeah. um, it, makes it it's, you know, everything's going wild around you, but you just kind of just be really boring and kind of just kind of plot through i mean if you look at the travelers it wasn't all the excitement was happening around me i just kind of had to stay the course and kind of just be a kind of just stoic and kind of just keep walking you know what i mean mm-hmm. don't really let it like don't try and do anything crazy don't try and you know push it uh, and force it at all you know just kind of let things happen and that's one scenario uh, where you know things went my way obviously there are other scenarios where you know at the masters with the decky yeah, i tried to I was in full full push mode. I felt the momentum going my way. And I, you know, was in between clubs, grabbed less and kind of turned this eight iron against the wind, flushed it. I mean, I hit that thing perfect and it got really, really stood up. And then on my next, I, I dropped on my next shot and I took club as if it was into the wind again and kind of turned it up against the wind. My ball flew straight over the green. So like you said, things kind of happen. And there's a certain, you know, risk assessment that us pros need to take every you know, on every hole and every shot. And you when you push it, it sometimes works and, and sometimes it really doesn't. So obviously the most rewarding thing is, is taking a high-risk shot and pulling it off, but high risk for that reason alone uh, in its definition. Um, so I don't really know if I answered your question, but...
0: I don't even know if I asked a question. It was just kind of like, you know, you know, it just doesn't... Uh, it's something that is, like, it's really boring, honestly, if you, like, really break it down in terms of, like, what makes it really good player versus an average player is like half of, you know, half of a shot better over a a 10 shot time period, you know, like it's so minimal. And I think it just, people tend to weigh so much on what happens in the final four or five holes. And that doesn't necessarily reflect what's going to happen the next time you're in that scenario is kind of what I was getting at.
1: Well, yeah, well, us, us players, uh, we're guilty of that sort of concept as well. You know what I mean? And that's why I said that the only thing I can really, with my statement prior to your, I guess, question that you asked (laughs) You know, with, with, all, with everything I said there, trying to get a little bit better here and there, the only thing I would really be upset about is if I just, because I know I can, what I have right now is good enough to put myself in contention. Obviously, I haven't won uh, enough or as much as I think I can. So, me trying to make myself better is to obviously, in the hope to win more, put myself in a position to win more. And the worst thing I can do is, like you said, you know, you need, you're not going to go five for five or 10 for 10 in golf. You're not going to do that in any sport. You know what I mean? So, you just need to really put yourself in position more often. Um, in order to sort of learn how to win and you know I'm a big believer in learning how to win I wasn't one to do it you know really throughout college or junior golf with you know uh, accumulating you know I don't know less than 10 trophies in my entire career before I stepped on the corn ferry tour or PJ tour so I think learning to win is is you know people are said they're born winners and you know I, I think you do have sort of like a, a winning mentality like I am like I said competitive as hell when it comes to anything so I say I do have that sort of grit and grind in my blood but I think like you said learning how to win and learning how to deal with the punches and learning that it's okay to sort of make a mistake and move forward and and, and learn from that is is sort of acceptable and it it is a thing you can do or a skill you can learn or achieve
0: Look, I know we got to let you go here soon, but I want, uh, want to ask this. You've been a part of two President's Cup teams and a Ryder Cup team. You're yet to be a part of a losing U.S. team. So I'm curious your perspective on how much of a burden, if at all, do you feel as the U.S. looks ahead to Rome in 2023 on a continent they have not won on in 30 years? Do you, do you feel any of that? Or does it feel like, you know, as a, as a member of a team that, you know, that has been invincible since you've been on it, do you, uh, do, you know, what what's your perspective on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'd say our our we're, we're young, we're young, we're excited, we have gotten a taste of sort of what holding that cup as a unit feels like, and, you know, I, I'd like to sort of go into Rome, you know, we have our meetings where we all need to, because we're so young, because we like to joke around, you know, we do have those meetings where we, you know, we say we need to reel it in, we need to be more serious, we need to make sure we're focused and dialed and, it, it is almost pointless because if you do look in the room, everyone in that room has the ability and has done it. Where they get really serious, they get really focused, and they do go on to win something. So it is such a special team or special teams I've been a part of that, you know, I, I really just think if the, the the worst thing we can do is sort of get caught up in sort of uh, the burden or the the idea that we haven't won somewhere. It's almost like uh, you know when I, you know when you watch the Warriors play basketball you know, it drives, a, you know, if you're not a fan of them, it, it, it drives you crazy just watching them sort of dance around and get really excited and kind of be like the team that looks like they're having a lot of fun kicking your ass. You know, I think that's sort of a mentality that we'll just kind of have to carry through, you know, obviously it's golf, it's different, but you have to be more serious, more focused, you know, our preparation, you know, I believe the Warriors do all that, but the way they kind of go about their business, it just looks very nonchalant and it looks very relaxed and our team is so young and so hungry that, you know, I think if we can kind of combine that a little bit on foreign soil and make sure we don't get caught up in sort of the, the drama and seriousness of losing so many times that, you know,
0: we do our own thing. We can kind of write our own story and, and, and we'll be just fine. That's what's interesting about it. It's like, hey, don't go over there and carry the burden, but also don't go over with the arrogance that maybe previous teams have gone over with and, and gotten punched in the face when they get there and they start hearing crowds cheer against them and things like that. It's
1: it's, it's, a, it's a fine line, it man. It is.
0: It is. I cannot wait to see what happens. It's going to be... Uh, a fun buildup to it, but, uh, well, glad you're feeling better. And thank you very much for, uh, spending some time with us this morning, answering some, uh, some decently tough questions. I pressed you a little bit, <laughs> but, uh, uh all good. enjoyed it and, uh, hope to do it again sometime. Appreciate time, Zander. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for your time. Cheers. Be
1: the right club. Be the right club today. Yes. Johnny, that's better than most. How about in? That is better than most. Better than most!